0: Hello and welcome back to the Comic Literate podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, penny dreadfuls, web comics, newspaper comics, and essentially any single frame illustrations where the characters use bubbles to talk or think. I thought I was going to get that a little. I thought I was going to get that through that a little smoother, and I realised I still didn't have the breath at the top to. There's, to there's make it. There's always a breath in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to avoid it, and then I got three quarters. And I was like, No, you needed that breath in the middle. <laughs> um. But back to the intro, uh, where I am your host, the soon to be known as Comic Stan, and with me, as always, is my ostentatious co-host, it's Jamie. I resent ostentatious. What, well, on a, just a, uh, uh, I don't know, I can't think of the word. On a theological level, or on a uh, ethical level, mor- morality, m- morales level? I don't think I'm that ostentatious. I mean, I've seen, I've seen the way you dress sometimes. It's not all the time, but you sometimes dress a little ostentatiously. What, what, what? In reference to what you wearing, like a tweed suit the other weekend? Yeah, that's just a suit. <laughs> it's a little ostentatious to, compared to the normal suit. It wasn't a whole suit. I'm not saying you're Elton John in like the full like sparkling garb. You fucking outfit. wait. You fucking wait until you get married. What? And then you, and then you start. Waiting. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't gay marriage. The El- Elton John. It was just marriage in general. I'm that's... gonna I'm gonna turn up to your wedding dressed as fucking Liberace. I mean. Well then we'd be wearing the same thing and that'd be rude so <laughs> can't have stage the groom. No, of course not exactly. So, we are back in the house again with another episode which is going to be slightly different this time because we are going to double back on a previous title for the first time. We are going to talk a little bit about the ending of the Darth Vader comic we did last week.
1: Yeah, because which... neither of us had finished reading it.
0: No, but I, th- I think we got a decent way through to to give like a good, you know, like deep dive of the comic i think we i mean yeah we did almost an hour just talking about it so oh
1: yeah no we we got there we got there and it was Um, a great
0: comic because we had so much to talk about having not even finished it yeah it was a testament to i think once we finished it it um redeemed athra's character for both of us didn't it it, de- it definitely did for me because i had higher qualms with it but we'll mm. we'll get into that soon i don't know if we'll do that before or after the main title but also that's going to be a quite a contrast in how we talk about that because we'll um, get into i mean that. it sounds like we're already into it well ha- do we do we want to touch some corners first that's probably the worst way i could have put it touching corners it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like the opposite of touch grass it's like stay indoors <laughs> like touch the corners <laughs> of the room kind of thing um,
1: do you have a corner
0: um i i watched i don't i didn't watch any films the last week but i did watch something which i can talk about a little bit i um watched in one of the new episodes of ted lasso have you have you seen ted lasso no. have you? so ted lasso is an interesting one for me it's it's I think created by and kind of show around by the guy who did scrubs back in the day. Yeah. So, but it's a, so it's made by an American, but it's a, it's a show about a British football team. So the, the general premise of it is there's a, uh, American football coach. So Mm. American football who gets brought over to coach a British foot, a British actual football soccer for the Americans, Mm. but British football team. But the, what's interesting about it, obviously there's a bit of, culture clash with the American and the British, but the actual American character played brilliantly by Jason sudeikis he is the yeah. most positive, upbeat American friendly character. <laughs> yeah, but even more like more American yeah. than Americans. Like um and what it is kind of is about how a bright positive influence on these other characters' lives. Mm. And how that kind of reaches out to other people and brightens their lives a bit, kind of gets like the the angry british what's the you know the what's a good word for that you know the kind of gamma face kind of culture of british you know you know what i mean oh uh, yeah no i know exactly what you mean just the general britishness britishness yeah the curmudgeonous british the malaise way. that we yeah, all experience exactly he kind of uh, brings everyone up a little bit but what's interesting I is i don't think we need or want that over here mate well here's the here's the thing so it's not just that because the character is quite quite three-dimensional as well he's okay. he's got his own shit right he's he's there's a reason he is as upbeat as he is and it doesn't mean everything's great for him because he does go through a lot of shit during as well um i i recommend it for anyone if you want to just try a thing here's he's a good example right do you remember i was talking about the tv show um Shrinking with uh, Jason siegel mm. and how I didn't like how it was meant to be serious, but then it just went into like we're all buddies, buddies kind of thing, yeah. right? So comparatively, Ted Lasso. So season three's just started. I'm going to spoil a bit from season two. So if you don't want to listen, blah spoilers for season two. Start it if you should. Start it if you want. But there's a bit in season two where we find out that this character who's so happy go lucky, he his dad killed himself, and that kind of. <sighs> influence is why he's so like he is because he needs he, to be so positive yes exactly he's kind of he's covering up for himself it's almost a little bit like toxic positivity <laughs> but only for himself yeah so his positiveness is good for everyone else around him like it builds everyone up and stuff but for him it's almost like a cover
1: like an unhealthy coping mechanism yeah.
0: and at one point he has to go see a shrink because he gets panic attacks and he doesn't want to get into the personal stuff He's happy to listen to your personal stuff. He's like, "Yeah, tell me about you," but he doesn't want to get into his own, and that's like doesn't want to actually deal with it exactly. And it's that depth which makes me, if you're going to be happy-go-lucky, I want a little bit under. I want a little bit to really care for you as a character. Do you know what Mm. I mean? And so, yeah, Ted Lasso, highly recommend. I don't want to get too much because it's an ongoing TV show. A film, I can just get into like start to end, boom, boom. This is why it's good. But Ted Lasso is yeah ongoing series. Check out if you can. Have you read any? cereal boxes or shampoo bottles or well
1: i've been reading the same books i talked about last week but what i have done this week is rewatched both the karate kid
0: and cobra kai <laughs> so the only way this counts is if you put on subtitles and read them while you were watching it because then it's jamie's you read a tv show as it was playing subtitles isn't that how you watch tv i do now because that's <laughs> i'm getting old the... no it's you know there's it's a genuine it's a genuine thing they are and they who make films and tv shows they're turning down the volume on the dialogue mm. and they're turning up the action so yeah. an action could be like driving or uh, like live music in oh. the show. Yeah, yep. exactly so i more and more people these days are putting on subtitles because they're fucking up the yeah. the, the volume on there so and as someone who's now editing uh, editing a podcast i like deal with that so when i'm when i can't <laughs> hear the dialogue in a tv show i'm like turn it up turn that bit up like yeah. for god's sake so, yeah, you're not alone. And that's a growing trend. There's, uh, there's articles about it and stuff from much more learned people than ourselves who, are, who know about it. So mm. it's an existing problem. So yeah, But how are you finding Karate Kid? Well, the Karate Kid is a childhood classic. I love the Karate Kid. Is that what inspired, without getting too much detail, that's what inspired your own martial arts experience? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I feel like my parents
1: stuffed me into karate because I wasn't very good at anything else. So I tried scouting and detested it far too much, not tying and being nice to people. And mm. then I tried football and I, I distinctly remember my granddad watching me play football and coming away from, to, my, to my dad and being like, does he always daydream this much? Um, but as a youngster doing a lot of karate, the karate kid resonated with me in a big way. Have you seen... Have you seen the
0: Karate Kid, firstly? I've seen... I think I saw the original Karate Kid quite a few years ago. Okay, I know you, the gist of it, yeah. Have you seen Cobra Kai? No, but I've heard a lot of people talking about it. So, so
1: you know the mean blonde kid?
0: He, yeah, he becomes the protagonist he's, of Cobra yeah, Kai. Yeah,
1: he's the protagonist. And what you find is that they've done a really great job of drawing a lot of parallels between the relationship between Mr. Miyagi and Daniel and Johnny Lawrence and this kid, Miguel whilst also showing all of the ways in which in largely thanks to the lessons he got from Mr. Miyagi. Daniel has become this quite wealthy, successful man, but he really wants to be a Miyagi figure and he doesn't, life hasn't hit him as hard. Hmm. And so he doesn't have a lot of that wisdom. And so there, there's a moment where they show a flashback of him teaching his daughter karate. And he's trying to tell her that he shouldn't use it to hit people. Says. Oh, karate always here, never here. He points at her head and her belt. Right. Which you're like, if, you, if you're familiar with the Karate Kid, kid you'll remember that's when Daniel, Daniel asks Mr. Miyagi, When do I get a black belt? And Miyagi mm. says, Oh, the karate's always in your head and your heart. It's never in the belt. And he tries to just like reuse mm. Miyagi's wisdom, but it doesn't come off right because it was situational. These were just brilliant things that this man was saying to him. And so it's really fun watching. Daniel LaRusso's character unravel a little bit while you watch Johnny Lawrence kind of go on this journey from being a deadbeat to finding a bit of purpose in teaching these kids hmm. and obviously at the end of you know yeah at some point in the Karate Kids you find out that um, Miyagi had a lot of struggle and you know he was a, an Okinawan soldier who fought in World War II and lost his wife and it was all quite you know ch- life was quite challenging for him. And so, yeah, it's been really fun. And it's also just full of rad 80s rock songs Mm. and big karate fight scenes. And it's very camp and it's very stupid, but also
0: quite heartfelt. It sounds like it does a good job of not only referencing, but almost homaging the originals, but also recontextualizing them in this new story.
1: Yeah, it's so great. And Mm. um, the bullying in... Um, the Karate Kid is quite surface level. It's, you know, physical altercations and the kind of bullying that you experienced in American high schools in the 80s. But with this being made in, what, like, do I think it came out? It might have even come out in 2020. It might even be a pandemic one. Yeah, probably, yeah. Um, the bullying is all, like, cyberbullying and really insidious and really tough to watch. Hmm. You know, you're seeing people like you see, you're seeing cyberbullying and you're seeing bullying move into this new realm. And I thought that was an interesting difference. Um, And it's so great to finally have. I mean, it's ruined the Karate Kid on some level, because Mm. while you're watching the Karate Kid, you now know that Johnny Lawrence has this awful home life and that's why he's acting out. Mm. And it makes him a much less effective antagonist. And then because you've seen the way it all went down from his perspective, you're also looking at Danny going, you Yeah. a dick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and one, so- one of the few things I do know about uh, this whole thing, which I think speaks to what you're now saying, is the ending of the original Cricket film, a lot of people have taken issue with the ending for decades now because the move that the bad guy uses to, to sweep the leg is a legal cry move, whereas the kick that... Is it Danielson? Yeah. That he uses... The crane kick. ...is an illegal move, and he (laughs) wins it, and is like the hero at the end. Like, you've done it. So people were referencing that since the film came out, till recently, and now this series coming out actually then is almost based on that contradiction at the end yeah. because the guy's like i did a legal move and i'm the bad guy because you got her and then you've bloody crane kick me which is illegal and suddenly you're the hero yeah so everyone was like yes finally like we've <laughs> been dressed the balance exactly so and it's a really interesting thing it's almost like it's kind of like back to star wars the rogue one answering yeah. how the why the deaths the death star yeah. had such a obvious open floor so it's, I do love those, like, there, there's, there's probably a listicle in there somewhere, mm. but like, plot holes that were addressed decades later within yeah. franchises and stuff. I think something that's
1: fun is that it's forced Ralph Maggio to play a more well-rounded character, Ralph Maggio being Daniel's son. Because do you know the other film that he was really famous for? No, I don't, actually. It's the Karate Kid, but with blues music. Right. So he is a kid learning how to play the Spanish guitar in, like, a conservate conservatoire, conservatory, whatever yeah, you want yeah. to call it. And he I think this... in America,
0: conservatory has like that meaning, and in <laughs> here it's, it's the attachment to a house. It's a glass box you put on the yeah. back of your house when you've made a few quid. Americans, write in if you have conservatories <laughs> attached to your houses. I think
1: they call them lean-tos. Really? And I think they're prominent in um, less affluent communities, shall we say. Well, that's all of England, comparatively. Well, yeah, <laughs> fucking A. But no, yeah, Ralph Maggio essentially plays... Daniel's son but he's learning how to play blues guitar and that's his journey and that's his thing right and it culminates in something fucking magical which you need to ju- you need to go and watch the last scene it's a young ralph maggio right playing a telecaster which he's not really playing because it is actually being played by steve Vai, who is the person he's having the guitar battle against right so it's the karate kid guitar battling steve Vai. <laughs> it's right. magical it's, it's wonderful
0: the most 80s thing you oh, could possibly so
1: fucking eight yeah no and right ra- and right ra- i think i don't know if i don't know what the cr- chronology of it was but it was around the same time that he was in karate kid like he hadn't aged much
0: yeah because a lot of actors have a hot minute yeah they have a hot minute of a couple films and then it's that you don't hear from them for ages afterwards so
1: and then yeah and then uh billy williams abacus performance in um cobra kai is really solid Fair. Like William Zabka, who plays Johnny Lawrence, puts yeah. in a great performance. Um, I think he is the perfect forty odd year old Johnny Lawrence. Like he nailed it, he's so good at it. Um and yeah, no, I would highly recommend both the
0: karate kid and Cobra Kai. I would say I like, to be fair, I think this is our most like mainstream recommendations like you know these these tv shows that are already mega popular and everyone's already talking about we think you should try them out
1: yeah we think
0: think you should have a look i think there's a sixth season coming out soon yeah the later seasons jump the shark massively the tv show i just recommended the cast recently went to the white house to speak about mental health and whatever so it's all like you know this little hidden gem that no (laughs) one knows about like have a check out yeah right should we talk vader yeah well there's i was about to say and this is a little spoiler for uh, this episode Mm. do we want do we want to eat our vegetables or do we want the 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 good stuff the meat and steak first like what what do we want to do
1: gonna have pudding first
0: Uh, pudding first and then our vegetables and then and then we're gonna eat our peas and carrots okay and i've got a little crossover segue so i'm gonna try and remember to do that there's a
1: sexy segue
0: a little bit of a sexy segue. Sexy segue. I mean it's gonna be a bit sadder when I do it, but you'll see why. It's I mean. a sexy segue moment. I suppose it with works James. <laughs> I <laughs> are segues sexy only to linguists and you know, like language experts? Like, ooh, that combination of subjects with or writers, I suppose. Honestly, the thing that gets a linguist the most hot under the collar is a correctly used semicolon. Yeah, I have no idea how that works. Uh, yeah, and I've I've looked I've looked up. I was like, "What is a semicolon?" I read the definition. I was like, "I still have no idea what I'm doing."
1: I I don't <laughs> I don't think I could truly be friends with somebody who didn't use the Oxford comma.
0: Wow, this is going to be awkward after the after this episode. Do then. you not use the Oxford comma? I mean, I use commas, so they might be Oxford. Do you know what the Oxford comma is? I've heard it before, but I can't, I can't remember the definition off the top of my
1: head. When you're listing things, you right. know how you'll say you need to get some bread, cheese, eggs, and bacon? Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you put a comma after the last and?
0: There's only one and, isn't there? Oh, it's a
1: yeah, sorry, would you put a comma after the and? No. You fucking animal! <laughs> That's the Oxford comma. Because the thing with it is, right? Right. If you say, I need some egg, some bread, eggs, cheese, and bacon... If you don't put the comma there after the and, it groups the cheese and bacon together as if they're a pair. Right. And so you need to put the comma there to show that the cheese and bacon are weighted the same as everything else in the list, and it's not like some weird combination cheese-bacon product that you want. It is cheese, comma, and, or cheese and, comma, bacon.
0: That's the Oxford comma. Oh, no. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Comic Grammar Podcast. <laughs> uh... <laughs> as, as, uh, we're literature apparently i claim us I, so, I claim us to be a literature podcast so i guess we should probably have a bit of grammar in there as well for all those real grammar nerds who are listening Do you know what a grammar nerd is actually called grammar nazi no there is I mean, that's what i've term. heard but okay what is it grammarian that sounds exactly like a grammar nerd would call themselves all of the
1: all of the grammarians currently listening are going to be like jamie saurus all
0: 12 of them are going to be <laughs> absolutely peeking out right there's now. there's more of us than that <laughs> there's I've ever, dozens of us have i ever told you about the time i got really excited in a waitress i mean i can understand why one would get excited in a waitrose, but i'm gonna guess that this is for not not at the similar reason, sir. So. so,
1: you know when you go to the small tills and you don't see them as often now?
0: The automatic
1: tills? No. So this was more of a thing when the, like the tobacco counter was just a functioning till. Right.
0: So you had your big tills, but then you could also take it to the little till yeah. with the, like the lottery tickets and everything. Yeah. yeah.
1: And they used to have a sign on that till, didn't they? Right. Which said that it was five items or or it said less but it should be fewer hey and i went to a, i went i was in a waitrose and i saw they had a five items or fewer sign and i shit
0: you not i got really excited and took a photograph of it obviously only waitrose <laughs> would have that grammatically correct it's like our staff demand correct grammar Absolutely. when they're buying their alcohol and scratch cards
1: yeah 100 percent.
0: yeah well you
1: can you can be drunk and still a grammarian
0: well, like I said, if we get the niche audience of grammarian podcast listeners, then fantastic. And if we turn you onto some comic books as well, even better. What a bonus! And speaking of comic books, <laughs> that's not the segue, but oh, I was waiting for not it. the sexy segue. That is sexy segue. <laughs> <that> <laughs> We're going back to Vader because I mean, we haven't done this yet, but you, you, you read to the end with yeah. purely on your own, mm. on your own. Uh, volition and you wanted to talk about it so i i was only about 10 issues before the end as well myself so i was like you know i'll get into it um do you want to since you proposed the idea do you want to start off on it i mean how did you feel about the ending i loved it Mm, i liked it i'd say between like and love I, I, i i enjoyed it i would say i think the thing is we talked at length
1: about not fully understanding athera's motivations and the way it ended is that Vader did eventually push her out of an airlock, but by her own
0: sort of grit and wit, she'd survived that. Well, I I really appreciated how intelligent the character was. Yeah, and I appreciate an intelligent character, a intelligent written character because it just makes sense mm. so where all the time that she was like hey if you don't trust me you can kill me with your lightsaber or whatever oh whatever you do don't throw me out of the airlock because yeah. i bloody hate that and then at the end he throws out the airlock she's screaming you bastard i told you don't baba and then when she's in the airlock she gets collected in the exact same way that they collected the credits that were floating in space in the yeah. space heist and then she goes I knew he was going to do that because it's Vader. If you tell yeah. him the worst, your worst fate, he's going to do it because he's the worst person. Yeah. So that really redeemed the character for me. And to be fair, the, the character didn't need redeeming in my eyes. I had a just a, a specific issue with her, and I was that that for me totally covered all yeah. issues. I was like, this character's smart. She knows what she's doing. She was trying to play both sides, and yeah, great character overall. And I think the resolution of it was that. Because it didn't make a whole
1: lot of sense to me that Palpatine was finding all of these quite obviously not as powerful as Vader people to kind of put him in a cohort with. And of course we get to the end and we get to his test, you know, and it kind of, Mm. it makes his motivations make sense. And it's a nice payoff for everything that Vader did in the book. I just think it paid off really well and it kind of settled some of the things that we were talking about.
0: True. Um, I, to be fair, I kind of looked at it in a different way, but like equally interpretive. I, um, I took it as Palpatine being a gaslighting prick. So he's like, (laughs) whoever wins, he's like. I always knew you yeah, were going to I always knew you'd come out on top and, like, what's his name? Vader. Yeah, I knew Vader would always, you know, that's what I kind of read from that. And that, but I think that's, I think you could look at it either way. But to me, I was just like, yeah, right. Yeah, you knew this was going to yeah. happen the whole time. I did appreciate Vader just being like, yeah, you need to test me. And I get that. I liked Thanoth. Um, yeah. He was, in the end, I think it was a bit of a surprise, but in the end, he was a diehard imperialist. Yeah. he was, And he was literally like, I am, I want to die to ensure the empire mm. is in good hands with you. He's like, I could have gotten away with it. You could have not known it was me who was doing all this, but I wanted you to kill me because I didn't want you to waste any possible effort trying to find the person who did this to you. Mm. So he was doing it to strengthen the empire. And I was like, yeah, he, he comes across as a fanatic. And like, that makes sense. Whereas when Aphra did it early, beforehand, it didn't come off as it didn't make sense. Whereas Thanos was like explained in, in very simple terms this is why I'm willing to die for the Empire. And then, yeah, Afra also redeemed herself. I think it tied up really nicely, like at the end, where we can't remember his name the guy with the eye, the other guy the weird eye, the head, the head of the face. Silo. Silo, yes. He was like, oh, I've got a plan. And the plans work. He was just like, all right, but I've got this other plan. And yeah. then that didn't work. He's like, oh, bollocks, I'm, I'm going to die. <laughs> So that was like a cool, like, yeah, de-escalating of like very confident to running scared. Like I thought there was a good gradual turn into that. Um, Yeah. uh, Overall, glad we finished it. Yeah, Um, really glad. Not as much to say now because I said we've covered all the kind of main parts of the of the story. So now, um, what I was saying before about Afra, I did find that in reading this week's title. I felt like I owed Afra an apology. And I mean, I felt I owed the fictional character Afra an apology uh, because I judged her for being a bit too quippy when we were reading Vader. And after I read this week's title, I was hoping and praying to be reading Afra's quippiness instead of this current week. Uh, I'll explain in detail. We are. I picked a title, I thought, I'll pick like a new released title so we can, you know, do another new one. I've really taken for granted the fact that we've only really been doing good to great titles so far. Good to great comics, I'd say. This was bang the fuck average, wasn't it? Even below average. And here's the thing, and I want to get this across like, because I feel, I want to get this across I would never want to do a bad comic for the sake of ragging on mm. it. I never want to just talk shit about something that's bad for the sake of doing something as bad. I literally picked this out thinking it was going to be at the very least interesting because, so the comic we're doing is called The Ones. It was mm. a recently released comic written, created and written by Brian Michael Bendis, who is a well-known comic writer, um, who has written a lot of the biggest titles in Marvel? Spider Man. <laughs> uh, he wrote the Ultimate Spider Man and, and Miles Morales, and in he? writing it, created Miles Morales because that's where he was interested. Uh, that was where he was introduced. But so, I mean, we both read this, and I think we probably had a similar reaction to it. Where I think I it. So, <laughs> I'm getting like I'm getting all turned around because I don't know as when we are talking about a good one, I'm just excited to talk about it. Like so.
1: For reference, I enjoyed it so little that I got halfway through the fourth issue and decided that me taking a nap would better serve me recording this podcast than finishing the book we're talking
0: about. Yeah, I was (laughs) trying to keep my eyes open. Yeah. And again, I I genuinely feel bad. Like, I I feel bad so much that I almost considered not talking about it this week. Because I just, again, I don't want to talk about bad stuff. I don't want to... I don't want to criticise anyone's creation that they spent time and effort because I don't think it's offensively bad. I don't think think a lot of effort was expended here, Ryan. Well, this is... (laughs) I think there was effort expended in the wrong way. Like, in a Mm. way that I can criticise the execution. I don't feel like it's offensively bad. I don't feel like it shouldn't have been made. Put it this way, if someone reads this title and enjoys it, then good on you. Like, I'm not going to... I don't want to shit on anyone else's time. I don't. Want, I don't want someone to see this episode and be like, "Oh,
1: they're doing the ones." Do you this know, week. there's an expression for that.
0: Sure, go ahead. Yucking on somebody's yum. <laughs> that that's that's very good. I actually, don't want to yeah. yuck
1: on anyone's yum here. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Hundred um, percent. I think we're going to be using that a lot during this. Not not only this episode, but the, if we get into this situation again in the future, it's from a show with Zay Frank. i um,
1: just to give um, credit to the person who came up with the expression. Yep. I yeah. don't know if you know who Zay Frank is. Nope, no at all. absolutely should. He's wonderful. <laughs> um, but we're not here to talk about Zay Frank. Um, I would like to get into my first
0: issue well, with the issues. Do you want to start with your challenge for uh, recommending the comic without spoiling it? Yeah, okay. And again, this is my least concerned I've ever been for spoiling a comic. <laughs> but I feel like we should still uphold to you know the standards.
1: Okay, so imagine... The Devil Went Down to Georgia, the song, right? Yep, yep. Instead of it being... Wait a minute. The Devil Went Down to Georgia, he was looking for a soul to steal. He was in mm-hmm. a bond and he was out of time and he was on to make-a-deal. Soon, a young man throwing on a fiddle in the center. Johnny. Johnny. Um, imagine The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Yes. But Johnny isn't a really good fiddle player. He is a mismatched player. Bunch of heroes that have been drawn together because of a prophecy, none of whom are that interesting. <laughs> and then the devil is a petulant, like six year old boy in a
0: business suit. I'll tell you what, I get in this particular instance. I'm not as bothered about spoilers or not. So we're we're only talking about four issues. It's a four <laughs> issue run that we're we're talking about right now. Which in itself, like I think we've we've done five issues of other titles yeah, and yeah. they've been very interesting, very, very good. That's like a volume run. That's about a hundred pages almost. Mm. Or over a hundred pages. So I'm just gonna give the blurb just so we're like, this is the Was my description not good enough? Your description I think hit on the main parts of the story, but what I left out I think was the setup. So the fact oh, right, that okay. So the characters, the reason it's called The Ones, is the protagonists are all their own prophesized The Ones. So ch- whether children or superheroes, they all had these prophesized roles within battles between good and evil yeah. to certain degrees. Um, so I'll, I'll read the blurb because it gets it across. I think we're going to be <laughs> taking this blurb with a pinch of salt because these are <laughs> normally promotional. Yeah. So they're normally talking about how good the comic is. Um, So from award-winning writer Brian Michael Bendis, which I did check is correct, he has won awards, um, comes the next best awesome super team to end all super team teams, The Ones. Every single person in every mythology that was told they were The One are brought together for the first time to defeat The One, the actual one, the real actual one. This amazing new vision is brought to life by Wunderkind artist and co-creator, Jacob Edgar. Now he's who I feel especially sorry for because I don't know him. I feel bad for like equally punching up to Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's an established comic book writer. He's he's written titles that have already been uh, award winning and seminally received. Because I have issues with the way that comic was laid out. Exactly. Yeah. But oh me, oh my. Um, Look, first way. If if anyone, if this in any way gets to Jacob Edgar. I am sorry. I genuinely do not like I'm sure, the criticism I'm about to make. I'm sure you're a much better artist than either of us. Yeah, uh, 100%. <laughs> you, you are far more talented than us. That's well established. I, will, I hope to read more of your work in the future with better expectations than, mm. than what, I've, what we've done. And you know what? My, my biggest gripes are on the art. Uh, no, sorry. My biggest gripes are with the writing, yeah. not the art. So Can we jump straight into my, my biggest issue with it? Yes. Yes. Go ahead.
1: I don't give a fuck about any of the
0: characters. Mine's basically the same, but I found all the characters far too quippy. And again, I I said this about Doctor Afra Invader. Reading this, I was begging for Doctor Afra to come. There's no
1: substance in any anything that any of them say, and it's like, yeah. So you're introduced
0: to this whole host host of characters. I just saw as well. Brian Michael Bendis. Five time Eisner Award winner. I well, he's not getting six for this one. I have no idea how you go from some of the best runs on Powers, which is mm. a a great um redefining of the superhero genre title. It was yeah. about the it was about non-powered police in a superhero environment. So they are police. They are attempting to police superpowered people. It's a great title. Horrible TV show that was made for PlayStation exclusive, but great original comic um alias the introduction of jessica jones who's Mm. a brilliant character and very well written in her first in her first introduction run um daredevil which is normally always great um i haven't read brian Brian michael bendis's specific run on daredevil but Mm. it won an award i assume it's good and ultimate spider-man which as we said reinvigorated the character and created one of the, the most popular new characters in uh in miles morales and i think what we're seeing here is a trend of and this is one of my few compliments to this title. The actual premise mm. is, is interesting, which is why I picked it. Mm. I liked the, they're playing with the, I like they're playing with the genre and, and yeah. the trope of the prophesized one. Um, and like here, I think he's good at creating initial ideas. Mm. It's one execution and ending, he's not good at. Um, Civil War II was a title, a Marvel title I read a while ago which was written by him and it ended so the ending was literally like don't worry about it anymore like they they built up this really big debate and it was about future crime so they had a character who could tell the future and it was like if this character sees people commit crime in the future are we justified in arresting that person now or not or Mm. do we have to let the crime happen but fear the the hurt that might cause to people yeah
1: i'm I'm familiar with it. i think
0: so it caused it it caused like this universe-wide debate between characters yeah. which honestly didn't need to happen you had characters in like random other titles like bloody deadpool someone was like what do you think about this deadpool's like well i actually take this stance it's like who cares it doesn't affect mm. you you don't you can have an opinion but it doesn't you don't you don't. character doesn't need to whereas in the first of wars about the super registration act yeah, yeah, yeah that required an opinion from everyone and then in the end the character who's having all these future seeing visions and everything just ascends mm. uh, i think it yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, disappears and then it doesn't matter goes, anymore. Well, doesn't matter now. And I thought that was my first instance of yeah, this Bender guy not great at the endings. Mm. So before I was interrupted, <laughs> I um, mean that's the whole podcast. But go on. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, the issue here, I think, is that the characters lack actual character substance, and so it's really hard to differentiate between all of them. Like I don't yeah. hear, a, I don't hear a unique voice among them. No, not at all. The, there's the grumpy old man with the sword, and he's a little bit distinct. But there's these two. There's this these two female characters. Um, the one who is the demon hunter or the demon hunter's friend. I can never remember. I honestly, at this point, I read it a half an hour ago, and I'm not sure which one's which. Yeah, but I think the white one with the red hair is the demon hunter. Yes, and then Nova, the superhero. Yep. There were times when I had to double take on the panel just to see which one of them was speaking. Yeah. And so I don't know that that... I, th- I, think, I think that's a failure of the art because none of them had a distinct voice. Yes. Um... And, and, there were, and there were ways to very quickly and incredibly succinctly give a character a distinct idiolect, and he didn't do that. And I thought back to Supergirl supergirl and her companion whatever her name was i forget now they did a really great job of showing there were panels where they were showing conversations between the two but they weren't showing them yet it was like the opening of a conversation before the actual conversation started on the Mm. panels and i could still tell which one was which because they had their own idiolects
0: well that i think we did say at the time it was a, a smart technique by Tom King to yeah. give this alien race, not even alien race, this alien character, but their own idiolect.
1: But again, I think, yeah, it was a smart choice, but it's something that can be done
0: I well. I think the Tom King, well, that was an extreme version of that. Do you think? Well, because most characters are people who grew up in similar environments and speak similar ways. Yeah, I suppose. But even... Um, but they are given still differences enough that you can tell who's speaking. I'm
1: going to reference here something that they reference in the comic book. Right. They gave me an in. He says, one of the things that I want to bring back is people calling each other sport. And then he calls somebody old sport.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> they reference The Great Gatsby. Yeah. Old sport.
0: That's how how, that's how DiCaprio used to say it. Fuck that. you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, for the listener, The Great Gatsby was one of my favourite novels growing
0: up. Um and for me, The Great Gatsby was a film I saw one time. Oh, and that's no. All I have You've to not say about it. You've not read The Great Gatsby, have you? I'm not the literature guy here, man. It's, but it's one of them, you know? It's one of them. All right, one, once we've got the Patreon up and running, we'll do like a swapsies. Oh, can
1: I make you read? It's only like 180 pages. I have a bunch of copies.
0: Yes, but in response, <laughs> I'll make you watch a wrestling match. Okay, yeah, I can deal right. with that. I can well, deal with one that. day, that'll be a, that'll be a tables of turned, like kind of how yeah, the turntables, that's what it'll be called.
1: But it's this thing where like, He, so that this is the devil again. He doesn't even have a distinct idiolect it's all this kind of very, I would say, millennial, not Gen Z. Yeah,
0: his I did find a little different, but only because it was the rest of the characters turned up even more. Yeah, in a what I transcribe, and I thought you might have better words for this. So, this is my limited vocabulary trying to describe what I got from this. All the characters, most of the time were just completely nonchalant in a negative way do you mean like to an extreme like nonplussed they were but they were generally not bothered there was no sincerity in any of the heightened tension moments so like if everything's casual And there's two friends, and not even friends, but just two people in a calm environment. They could be making quips and smart aleck remarks to each other all day. But when shit goes down and things start getting important, that's when the sincerity needs to come through of like, oh shit, things are happening right now. I think, yeah, I think
1: what, again, what you were hitting on is the fact that they were all speaking in the same idiolect. And I mean, so they, that, all, yes. they all had this very quippy, very sort of, I want to say like two thousand sitcom. It was
0: kind a esque Yeah, Weeden esque That's a
1: great way of describing it. A very yeah. Weeden esque idiolect, um, which they all were in all of the time. And so it meant that he could never raise any tension because at any point something was happening, the main characters would just be like, oh, well, is this again? There, there was no real sense of any jeopardy, even though Satan is literally there and the apocalypse is actually happening
0: and they're still just kind of cutting about like, I don't really know about this demon malarkey. Well, one thing I noticed when thinking about all this was that the only time they weren't like that was when they were angrily swearing. And that's a big issue I had with this. Yeah, The swearing was so gratuitous that it lost all meaning to the point where it just annoyed me, and I'm someone who, like yourself, in real life, everyday situation, I use fuck like a punk, like a um, comma, like a comma, like but not an Oxford comma, not, no, no, because I only nerds use that. <laughs> but I, I use it for myself and in friends just casually, whatever. Mm. But these characters only went from either angrily swearing, and that was the closest it got to sincerity with any of the characters. Mm to then casually swearing to each other. One character has three connected speech bubbles and mm. they say shit in each one. Yeah. And I'm like, do you have any other words to in use? In your vocabulary. Yeah. And it doesn't, it, it, if you swear, like, same with the quips, with the smart aleck quips, it, and same with swearing, if you use it all the time, it loses all significance and meaning. Because I think there's this moment in Why the Last Man, where
1: yorick kind of walks up to something and he sees something and there's a single beach bubble with the word fuck in it and it's really powerful yes well-placed swearing is really powerful but again here it was just kind of, yeah you're right it was peppered through but there was no real there, there there was one moment in the entire thing where i really saw a bit of character shine through one of the characters. And it was the very opening where one of them was collared in the supermarket. Yep. And people were, and there was this idiot kind of Chad guy with his collar up and his arm around his girlfriend saying, oh, you're the chosen one, bro. You're the chosen one. And this guy's like, yeah, I just want to, I just want to leave. Like, please let me leave. It's really uncomfortable. Like I really sensed his discomfort in those panels. And then I was like, actually that captured me. That was the first Mm. like five or six panels. And I really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. Like, this is like a take on modern celebrity memification of human beings. Like, this is interesting. And then his whole character just kind of dissolved
0: and amalgamated with everyone else throughout the rest of the book. Yeah, 100%. And uh, two things to say about that, that opening sequence. Firstly, I think the reason... I think we both had the similar reaction to that, to that opening. And I think the reason is... That was in close relation to the premise mm. and not the story, if that makes sense. So the premise yeah. being the real life post-action post life of the Chosen One. So mm. after the battle with good and evil, because that's one thing I didn't notice and I did like, was every character was after their Chosen Ordeal. So
1: I would imagine
0: that they're trying to
1: establish a universe with this, and we're going to see everyone's backstories, and we're going to get that guy's story at some point
0: yeah because they did not mention it here no no they did not, not scoop of it confirm it and it didn't feel like breadcrumbs like oh can't wait till they reveal that i was like i don't care enough it's just a little annoying that i don't know it
1: yeah because i would have quite happily sat down and followed that character that i saw in that moment i would have quite happily sat down and followed their story yeah the most character revelation that we get is that he smokes weed yes we see him on a sofa smoking a joint. That is the only real character revelation we get about any of them, and even that, I was kind of like, uh, they have they having a meeting and then like they're talking about really serious stuff, and he's like, "Oh, I'm just going to
0: casually smoke my marijuana in here with everyone." Yeah, and it was it didn't even fit then. And what what would have been interesting was seeing his life kind of in the style of uh, previous title we reviewed, Public Domain. Imagine yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of everyday life in relation to this larger story that previously happened and is still affecting his day-to-day life whereas instead he just then got thrown back into a trope-ridden stereotypical and it's meant to be for parody that's the worst part it's meant to be parody satirical of this prophecy-based whatever but it's so detached from that premise It's like if it's like if you tell a joke, or if a character tells a joke, or Mm. there is a joke in a story, whatever, the character and like with sketch comedy has to sincerely believe in the moment. They have to make the joke. What makes it funny? It's a secret among actors when they do like normal dramatic actors when they do comedy. So they're given a comedic script, it's already funny, and they say the first thing is don't try and make it funny. Act it sincerely.
1: Was that Brian Cranston who said
0: that? I think I've heard it, I think, from a Mm. few places, but I think he did as well, yeah. But he was yeah, I think that he he's had similar advice for sure. And also, that comes back to it because one of the lines that I thought was the most cringe line I think I've ever read in a comic book was the Satan character himself at the end. He says something that's meant to be like a dramatic reveal, and then he goes, I had to write it down because it was so significant. He says, Brian Cranston mic drop. And I'm like, I know the video he's referencing. I like the video that he's referencing. Yeah. Him referencing it there in Not that funny. way made me curl up. Yeah. Have you seen the video that he's referencing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, It's a good one. If you don't, search Brian Cranston, Mike Job, It is a funny video. But yeah, I, I feel like I'm all over the place because normally I just have like a chronological list of things I enjoyed through the series. Normally I have to derail you so that we can have a flowing
1: conversation. But Today it's just, I hate it so much! Yeah, exactly. And again, I just still feel bad about it. Well, do you want me to provide the order today? Because I have some quite ordered thoughts about it that I'd like to go through. So the other thing that really bothered me was the fractured timeline. I found that we were skipping backwards and forwards in time quite a lot, but the characters hadn't aged or changed in any way. And so we're seeing them back and forth through this timeline that i'm not really following because i'm not invested in any of the characters and so we're seeing bits of the timeline in this quite fractured way and sometimes that can be a really interesting narrative device where Mm. we're getting information from way before the story started in the middle and it contextualizes some stuff that has just happened and then kind of propels you along in the story for what's about to happen um i can't think of any great examples of it right now but we all love a flashback
0: um uh breaking bad Brian yeah, Cranston. That absolutely feeds yes. information back and forth and not even story information but just character like motivation and stuff like that
1: yeah and yeah it's used to good effect there mm. but here i just feel that it kept pulling me out of this
0: story that wasn't really moving at a great pace anyway well you know what the worst part of that was the information that they were trying to get across in the flashbacks is that one half of the group doesn't trust the other half yeah but that doesn't matter when they get back to the present. No, it doesn't. It matters yeah, for right. like a second when one's like, well, I don't trust them. And then it, it does not come back at all.
1: It has no effect on the story and the way that they operate as a group.
0: Yeah, because then later when they're battling Satan, and again, another, in, another coincidental thing. It's like, by the way, Satan can't actually attack you, but he can defend himself if you attack him. It's like, oh, that's like that's like coincidental that you don't have to do... You don't have to rush into a, a battle now with Satan. It has to be more dialogue because that's all these characters are good for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. which you've yeah. told me by having them only speaking, even <laughs> even when action was happening, they were just quipping oh, yeah. oh, all the entire time. Bloody Vader! When Vader had no dialogue during the action scenes, they were so much better. Awesome action scenes. Yes, yeah, I agree. And in this one, I'm like, I'm like, demons are getting beheaded, and I don't care because yeah. I'm just reading this. Ooh, we're we're too cool to be to <laughs> actually care about what's happening right now, yeah. and it just angered me. And and yeah. and the epo- and uh, so the way that they introduced
1: it, so essentially they all get pulled into a room and somebody says yeah there's a baby it's Satan he is the chosen one and the first thing they jump to is are
0: we going to murder the baby which I actually appreciate as an interesting plot point
1: yeah. And, and i and i was like oh fuck we're gonna get some evil baby orphanage action here mm. you heard of the evil baby
0: orphanage uh where they the it's the compromise of like not yeah. killing the babies but taking them away from their so situations it, basically baby hitler take him to an orphanage so he doesn't become hitler
1: yeah it's an idea that um the green brothers had the vlog brothers yeah. many years ago and they talked about the evil baby orphanage and it ended up being a card game that's quite good and I was like, oh, we're going to have a really interesting um, kind of means of dealing with this baby without killing it, right? Yeah. And then they all quip at each other for a bit, and then they just say, well, should we come back in sixteen years then? And then it go- and then it kind of cuts to six years later, and they're all like, oh, well, that was wrong. Oh, again. It's the apocalypse. Another quip. Yes. Like there was no, there was no insidious creep of the apocalypse. There was no demonstrating how. Hard this is for humanity and how Mm. devastating it is. They're just kind of in the middle of a ruined city and there's demons everywhere, and it's six years later and the apocalypse is happening. It was a
0: joke, but it would have played so much better if the panel beforehand they're like, We'll give it six years and we'll see what happens. And then next one, proper panic, terror, like Jesus Christ. Like that would have hit harder and the joke would have hit. hit But it was a quip.
1: They 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 doubled up on the punchline. Yeah the the imagery should have like if that artwork had been there by itself and there was no quippy dialogue i feel like that joke would have landed for me I'd have been yeah like, huh, that's quite funny but they needed the characters to be saying things all the fucking time and i yeah i found it i found that element challenging
0: the other thing i found really challenging hey, going into that could you pin in that one second i've just got one thing while i remember okay i think it's a good point there's a constant um there's a criticism of the MCU films by people who aren't fans yeah, and they the way they criticize the quippiness in that is they've invented lines that haven't actually happened right but it's used as an over exaggeration. so the way they describe it is MCU films are full of characters who go who react to situations like that and they go, "Well, that just happened yeah or the other one is he's right behind me, isn't he?" Yeah so those lines have never happened in the MCU, but mm-hmm. they are an exaggeration where to another person who's seen them, you go, yeah, I, I get what you mean by those lines. Mm. To an even more exaggerated term, it was uh, the Morbius film with "It's Morbid Time," yeah, yeah, yeah. but but this comic, this comic was that entirely. The fact yeah. that the characters didn't say those lines is almost shocking because that's right up, that's right in the theme of how they talk, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, no. it is. Well, that
0: like when the apocalypse happened, it should have been well that just happened. But yeah, so I just had to get that because I thought like I need to while I remembered because I think I forgot it earlier. Your other issue was... The layout. Yeah, see, I think I was so distracted by the, quali- the lack of quality dialogue that I didn't even focus on the layout. So, we talk- we've talked a bit about how
1: we really like classic page layouts. Full pages, rule of thirds, horizontally. This comic book would break the panels down into these tiny little panels that all could have been half a page and squish them all together... And I found that I was having to squint to read the vast blocks of dialogue I was seeing. Like, there was a lot to... There was, it was quite... Because it was so dialogue rich and they were really squeezing it into these tiny panels, it made it scan really badly. Yeah. And I was struggling to read it. Like, I, was, I genuinely physically struggled to read this comic book. And that should not be the case in such a visual medium. Yeah. Um, like, you and I have had conversations in the past about uh, one, that come, one that springs to mind is the Logan comic books where he's having the same fight like past. across time yeah yeah, yeah. and you're seeing these amazing page layouts where they, the, the layouts themselves are really
0: half of them in red yeah and that how, how easily distinguish between yeah, them, yeah and
1: so you're seeing these great page layouts where they're doing a lot of the storytelling work and they're really driving the story along and then you get here and it's almost as if somebody just said well we have all of these images we need to chop the page up chop it up mate. yeah like i don't feel as though the page layout was thought out in a way that was gonna assist the story being told the page was just chopped up however the fuck it was chopped up and they printed it and that bothered me because we've been reading books that have done such a good job of it recently it's what going back to what you said you feel spoiled Mm. because we've read we've read books where that kind of thing has really helped push the story along and then you're looking at it being done like badly here i would argue
0: you know i generally thought that there wasn't in these days i didn't think there was a comic this bad <laughs> and what it, the reason is is other mediums have bad versions because there's more success in them so like film and tv and like as a new example video games once video games but be- came successful so we talk about golden age of video games like the playstation 2 xbox era so there was an influx of new games was a huge biggest library of console games you'll ever see um at one time and it was because it was an explosion of the industry but what you also had at the time was the games that were made like there were obviously stumbles there was bad games beforehand but for the most part the people who worked in the industry loved video games Mm. so even if you had a bad one every once in a while it didn't feel like it felt like most of the time they were made with love and care yeah now we are at the um loot box pay to play oh the video
1: game industry's assess pays. yes
0: it? but that's i always believe that because of its success it, success attracts people who aren't passionate but want to make money in this specific area or think they can be successful or make success off other off other creatives so I think that's a thing with a lot of other mediums. And I don't think that's really happened with comics. I don't think comics have had like success to the extent they've the um, intellectual property has absolutely had success. But in other mediums, so like film and TV and games, obviously, but comics themselves as a medium has not, I don't think, has attracted that. And what mm. we have here, I don't think it's a sign of like bad comics now. I was just surprised that one as bad as this could come come from such an award winning Guy and I, yeah, because now that we talk about it, I've read and enjoyed a lot of his shit. (laughs) So he's done good stuff. We know he's capable of good stuff. So what? Like I'm, I, I'd be fascinated to ask him what, what, how this came about without being as. A bastard to be like, why is your latest comic shit? As obnoxious. Exactly. But I'm but I'm genuinely fascinated. Like, I don't want to be an arsehole, but that question really does fascinate me.
1: I think I think what's happening here is there's a very distinct tone that he wanted to achieve. And that tone was more important in the writing process than the content itself. And that's why the content suffers. And so it feels a bit style over substance and also i think when you pitched this to me you said like they're trying to they're trying to make a new kind of ensemble cast of heroes that whose stories are going to be told and so maybe there's a sense that actually this doesn't need to stand alone for very long because they're going to start releasing books which tie into it and so, actually, we might get that character depth later, and we might see their own unique voices, and their books might look and feel and sound different. But as it stands, as like a piece of work that I've just had plopped in front of me, it suffers for that, doesn't it? Yeah. And are you about to play something on your phone into the microphone?
0: Not into the microphone. So, uh, speaking of tone, mm-hmm. I was reading about Brian Michael Buntis because, again, fascinated by where this comic yeah. actually came from and how it came about, and. Then, it was generally talking about his writing influences. Mm. So we mentioned some previous comic book writers like Frank Miller and da, 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 Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Alan
1: Moore. How we we didn't talk about Alan last week?
0: No. And it but because we did the dedicated Alan Moore episode with this with the Superman title, that was like a cutting off of like he doesn't need to be. We'd gone on a, a like a six seven episode run, and then that was the point where we. We stopped. we not. Not. We don't have to. We don't have to mention him every time now. I think he's going to come up a lot anyway. I think that we should
1: rename this podcast. Yeah, Podcast. Sir. No, please, sir. Can I have some more? Yeah. And it's entirely about Alan Moore comics. That would, we that, would never run
0: out again for the Patreon. That will be one hundred percent. Swamp Thing alone is such a long run. They did, yeah. and it's very well received. So yeah, one day. We've, we need to write that down somewhere, so remember that. <laughs> well, I, I did write it down. Ex- good, thank God, thank God. <laughs> Into a microphone. <laughs> so someone put a pin in this recording right now, and then send it to us later. That's your job. Yeah, that'll be me. That, of course that'll be me. So... But he did cite that there were other non-comic book writing influences. I'll go on, and one of them specifically, I can't remember the other two, but one of them specifically jumped out at me. He cited uh, Aaron Sorkin. Okay, who's that? So Aaron Sorkin is a writer, screenwriter mainly, uh, maybe a director as well, um, although I think only recently. But so he writes some things that I'm a big fan of, um, yeah. and specifically is a TV show called The Newsroom. He also wrote The Social Network have you seen that (laughs) very quippy very quippy yes but i'm a big fan of his style of writing so when i saw that he was influenced him to he was influenced by him and having read this comic i immediately was like i thought to myself why do i like this type from aaron sorkin but i don't like this influence what's the difference oh
1: my god sorry to go on on. aaron sorkin wrote One of my favourite American TV shows that's really underrated. The West Wing? No. No, The West Wing's not underrated. The West Wing is quite correctly rated. No one, no one, barely talks about it these
0: days, but. Studio 60 on on the the Sunset Sunset Strip with Matthew Perry. That's one of my favourites as well. Fuck it.
1: Oh my God, it's excellent, (laughs) isn't it? And
0: it's only one season.
1: I know. And just that kind of yeah no he did he, aaron sorkin did an incredible hmm. job of writing a story that was ostensibly
0: about saturday night live let's yeah. be frank here so i don't need to play this now because i, I didn't know if you had seen anything like his yeah. like his tv work is more him than his movies his movies yeah. i think are a bit more made to be palatable to a wider audience but that writing i think so i watched so i watched some clips earlier to be like what is the difference for me and i think what it is is that for one thing written down on the page is very different to acted out by fantastic actors and aaron sorkin is a playwright and
1: a screenwriter. yes and so he is uh, he is exclusively writing things that are to be
0: spoken not to be read and also in the back and forth between characters which could be interpreted as quippy it's never they're not quipping out of nowhere they are referencing each other yeah. so what they'll do a lot of the times is they'll be talking about two things at once yeah a serious thing and a light thing yeah and they get intertwined in the conversation where someone references the light thing when they think they're talking about this heavy thing and vice versa
1: yeah there's there's this amazing scene in studio 60 where one of the actors one of the one of the actors on studio 60 um, his brother is in Iraq and has been captured and he's in a green room with an American um, colonel, general, yeah, who's been sent to oversee him whilst they're trying to extract his brother and all of these wealthy comedians and actors are under the table trying to broker a deal to buy the brother out. And... So it's really heavy. This guy's got a huge decision to make. Do I, do I let my boss pay a million dollars to a bunch of terrorists? It ensures my brother's safety, but it also furthers the Taliban's cause. Or do I potentially let my brother die and let the army do what they need to do and starve the Taliban out? Huge choice. And there are these jokes, these lighthearted moments that are kind of woven into it. And it's hmm. really powerful.
0: Really, really powerful stuff. Yep. And I think the difference for me is what could be interpreted as quippy it's certainly a style but when the actors not only are delivering it really well the context is always the context is always interlaced with whatever the heaviness of the scene is and in in the comic in this comic it didn't feel like any heaviness at all there was never any weight to any situation so are you are you trying to argue that he was writing like a screenwriter in a printed medium i think he was actually i think he was specifically trying to write like aaron sorkin Mm. but it was coming off like joss whedon because it (laughs) didn't have he he just couldn't get the weight of any the characters did not have any sincerity reaction to any of the ways i'm using the word sincerity a lot it's all the only word i can think of to describe like an earnest yeah reaction to what's going on and when the when the sorkin characters are quipping it's because they're written as very highly intelligent characters because yeah because aaron sorkin is is an intelligent screenwriter yeah so they're talking about multiple things at once. They're going back and forth on subjects. They are mocking each other for like just yeah. a line. It's very British comedy style, like which is uh, maybe an interesting take. I don't know if anyone else had that. It comes across a bit British where it's, it's very fast-paced and mocking and self-deprecating, but in, again, a nervous nice kind of way. And I think that also it feels more realistic because people in real life, we've probably both been in real-life situations, like, heavy dark situations and someone can make a joke or a flippin' remark and it breaks attention a little bit hundred yeah, yeah, percent. It, but it's not as hollow as like a well that just happened it's mm. like it's always like really closely related to whatever the actual main topic is whatever the actual deeper subject is um, and the other thing as well is we say about the written page uh, there is a beat and a cadence to this dialogue in and stuff. So it's, and it's edited, it's performed and edited in a way where it's very fast, it's going very much in between. You have to really pay attention as a viewer, but it all makes sense. And it doesn't feel fast to be fast. It feels fast because normally the situations like Saturday Night Live copy or um, a newsroom, which one I, or the bloody White House, they are high tense situations that they have to be fast and talking quick and stuff. But there's also these like, there's these character relationships underneath that are also interwoven with the heavy subjects.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, if, if, if you go back to Studio 60, um, Matthew Perry, who's one of the head writers, had a failed relationship with one of the best actors. And so there, there's this undercurrent kind of, is he favoritizing her or is, does he really not like her at the moment? And they kind of made each other's careers and there's all this tension and that's played out across it. Whereas here, the character relationships are so surface level that there's none of those sort of tensions and relationships forming. Like, I couldn't Hmm. tell you which... There's three characters that don't like the other ones, but we only hear about that... In the flashbacks. In the flashback, where only three of the characters are there. So they're talking about why they don't like them, but we're not seeing any of that in their relationship. And actually... The character they're talking about not liking, they're all talking about how much of a fan of hers they are when they're together, and how much they respect her, and how
0: excited they are to meet her. And you almost want to kind of grab the character, and be like, "You're all the same. Yeah, 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 you all speak and act the same way. Yeah. If you don't like her, you don't like yourself. Yourself either. <laughs> it's a deeper message about self hatred. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be a. what's it? I wouldn't want to be part of a club that would have me as a member. But in yeah. this case, it's like she's so bleh. it's like you're bleh. like do, do you think do you think we're missing it and that's what it is no i think we're, <laughs> we're reading too much accidental
1: well reading because you know i like fiction where i don't identify with the characters
0: yeah of course like, we, I-, I mean we've read a few titles here which have been great insights into other ways i mean the most obviously the highest level of that was probably mouse and that yeah. was that was such a window into another life you know yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and
1: I like, I like unlikable characters. I enjoy reading unlikable characters. But I think we're meant to like these characters. I think he wants us to like these characters and yeah. I just
0: don't. Yeah, and I, I made so many notes of lines because normally I'll make notes of like good lines yeah. or funny lines or whatever. And in this case, it was just like lines I had issues with. And like one I've got here, one of the characters, when they're talking about whether they should kill the evil baby or not is... One of them said, it's a baby, it's not going to Satan out on all of us today, right? And what that screamed to me was an attempt to emulate Gen Z speak without knowing how they actually talk. I don't think anyone actually talks like that.
1: No, I mean, if it was Gen Z, they'd be talking about how it's not based.
0: Yes, but if it's an older millennial, they could be like, yeah, that maybe be like someone who doesn't know or interact. They may be like, yeah, that sounds like it could be something. But if you're in that space at all, no one talks like that. And I think it was meant to be that. Especially if these characters are meant to be young, pro- you know, chosen one children who are a bit older now. Yeah. They're probably about Gen Z age, aren't they? Yeah. And yeah, I've got a lot of notes about stuff like that. But I, I, now I, I've made the notes and now I feel like going through them is just going to be a depressing like... Yeah, I don't think we should. Didn't like this, didn't like this, didn't like this. So yeah, I, uh, the gnome started swearing. Ridiculously, yeah, for no oh, the reason. Gnome. The gnome that we see precisely twice, who talks and acts like an old middle aged man, yeah, despite being a mythical creature. But then also, <laughs> Satan talks like bloody, what's his name, Holden Caulfield. From um now, I don't like, Hold- now, I don't
1: particularly like Catcher in the Rye,
0: Catcher in the Rye, that's and
1: it. I definitely don't like Holden Caulfield as a character. But I think that's deeply unfair to JD Sla- Salzinger. <laughs> S- Salzinger, yeah. Slazinger? Yeah. S- Salinger? Salinger. Salinger? Salinger. I always think he's Slausinger like the tennis rackets. As a side note, I, once, I did a book exchange with one of my... Because we would do this to each other because we all, we all studied literature and we all lived together. And so we would really want each other to read our favourites. But of course, we were all reading so much at the time that it was kind of hard to squeeze it in and so we would if i wanted you to read something i'd have to read something that you wanted me to read yeah book swap uh, Yeah, yeah yeah and he thought the catcher in the rye was the great american 20th century novel and i thought it was the great gatsby and so we both read each other's books and i remember we walked we walked down to our living room when we were done
0: we kind of sat down and I, holden's a cunt <laughs> yeah. and he went yeah nick's a cunt <laughs> yeah, I was made to read it in high school, and I had the exact same you criticism. Catcher in the Ryan high school, I had to read a bit of it. I'll put it that way, and I just hated the character. And the teacher was like, "Yeah, but don't you think there's like a deeper teenage angst thing?" It's like I'm a teenager with angst because I had to read this cunt. Like I yeah. hate him. So yeah, I um had to- issues, and that's what the devil kind of and came you across loved the
1: movie me. so much. Movie, the movies. Oh, the movies. Yeah, like film in general. Yeah, of course. You love film and Holden
0: Caulfield's whole thing yep. is that he fucking hates the movies. Well, there you go then. He's a he's a <laughs> he's an arsehole, he doesn't deserve love.
1: Oh my brother, he's so smart, but now he works in the movies, so I hate him.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll tell you one thing with the swearing that it reminded me of. Mm. The the amount of gratuitous swearing. I said before, like if it was used more sparingly, then obviously like we both agree it comes it has more power. But alternatively, what I also reminded me of was you can use excessive swearing in a good way as well but it also falls short of that because the characters are it's like an attempt at being cool for swearing a lot what it reminded me of was have you seen the south park episode where they say shit 300 times that's hilarious because they have the counter and it's extremely like the point is it's meant to be overdoing it's meant to be over the top an excellent
1: example from comic books of gratuitous swearing that's used to display a character really well is negan
0: yes yeah yeah and, and he used it very creatively as well.
1: Oh, Negan's swearing was almost beat poetry. Yeah. The way that Negan swore and the way he wove those words, like the way that uh, what's his name? Like a beat poet? No, no. The
0: guy who wrote The Walking Dead. I just oh, um, uh, Robert. Robert <laughs> Patrick, Robert Kirk Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman, that's Rob it. Rob
1: Kirkman. Is it Rob one minute?
0: That's Don't it. That's
1: Google like... it, we're doing the Jamie's Googling Thing song.
0: Yeah, Robert, Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman. The way that
1: Robert Robert Kirkman um, wove that into Negan's character and made it central to his character. Yeah, made it. It was so gratuitous that it was there for a reason. Mm. Whereas this guy, these characters, when they yeah, their their swearing just kind of comes out of nowhere and it doesn't serve a purpose and it mm. doesn't help me understand them as a character any better. And it doesn't help me understand the situation they're in any better. It just kind of falls flat. The whole thing falls flat,
0: yeah. unfortunately. The quipping and the swearing, I think, they can both be summed up with this, which I thought of while reading, was characters superhero characters I thought who do quip a lot, what, what works with them. And the two I thought of was Spider-Man and Deadpool Yeah, yeah, yeah. are the biggest. Now, Spider-Man, canonically, I don't know if this was retconned, but it's a, I thought it's, it's a good character aspect. The reason he quips so much, and the only time he quips, is when he's in high-tension situations... And the reason he does it is because when he started being Spider-Man, he was 16 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was a kid. So he was in these life or death situations, scared to death. And the way that helped him get through it, his defense mechanism was to become aloof and detached Mm. and just make jokes. And what's really interesting is in
1: the MCU, in the most recent Spider-Man they gave us, because Tom Holland's Peter Parker is just kind of in awe of it all. Yeah, he's not as quippy. Well, he is. He's when very he's,
0: sincere. He is when he's wearing the costume more so, and that's yeah. the difference. I think Peter Parker is not a naturally quippy person. No, but if you take that character and put them in a high octane situation, and the same thing, there's a little bit in the game that happens where he um, he is in a situation where someone someone's heard some really bad news. That's it. He's working with it is in the Spider-Man video game, and he's working with Doctor Octopus, Doc yeah. Ock, but Otto Octavius. But he finds out he's got a. Um, a degenerative disease, and this is before he becomes doc ock Yeah. So he's building the arms because of a, a motor disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing they're working on breaks. So doc ock is like, God damn it, or whatever. Like, and um Norman Osborne's the mayor, and he's like and Norman Osborne has stopped their process by cutting off their funding or something. Yeah. He's just like, God damn you, Osborne, like that. And because he's the mayor, he goes, Yeah, I didn't vote for him. Yeah. And that's, that's quite funny. And then doc Ock turns to him and he goes, Sorry, I make jokes and I'm uncomfortable and yeah. it's like that's the whole that's the thing that's what makes it good because it's the it's a character trait and it's specific to him and deadpool he does a lot because he's crazy he's but deadpool. it's funny <laughs> yeah but what is important and again with the swearing with negan if one character does it or a few characters do it it's a characteristic if every character does it it's nothing it's a feature of the title yes and it's also it's um it's the Bad guy from The Incredibles. If everyone's super, then no. But <laughs> yeah. it's that, isn't yeah, it? It's, yeah. It loses power. And I think that's the biggest issue I had with this comic. And you've articulated, well, every character's came off exactly the same. And yeah. you couldn't distinguish between them. So, yeah, it was not a good title overall. What do
1: we think to the art style?
0: I thought the art style was passable. And that's probably the worst thing I've said about an art I style. I
1: thought it was really pretty.
0: <laughs> so. I think, it, I think it did the job, but it never
1: pulled my attention i don't i didn't like the character models i thought the character models were all a bit bland um something that something that really grabs me in a good character model for something like this is a good silhouette and the only one that had an interesting
0: silhouette was the kind of hulking bloke with the sword yes he was the only distinguishing one from his silhouette yeah
1: Yeah, exactly um there were there weren't any there, there weren't really any great silhouettes but again that's not necessarily down to the artist like the artists themselves might not have done all the character design. Yeah. I thought some of the the bigger panels, the bigger layouts, were quite pretty. Yeah. I mean, he had a really nice sense of color. Yeah. Um, there was a really good sense of color. I actually quite liked the character model
0: for Satan in his little suit. Yes. And then, but the, as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh, fuck this guy. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. But I think, yeah, making, I, know you mean. I think
1: making the Satan either look like... A miniature Jimmy Carr is how I describe yeah, him. He had a, a a a
0: smug smirk, yes, entire time.
1: And I thought that was quite good character design, and I quite liked the panels that had him in it. But beyond, yeah, so the art style I thought was quite fun in places.
0: Yeah, there was um, one thing I did like, and this was, pro- if anything, this actually might be a, a worse thing because now it's it's and it's a problem that it didn't get used more. But the gnome is talking about the afterlife, at one yeah, point, and they say like. Oh, do, where do most people go ever? And he goes, most people's souls get chucked away. Yeah, and he and the the guy Wilson is like, what? And he's like, yeah, most people just spend their entire lives on their phones, like they don't do anything to be worthy of heaven <laughs> or hell. And for me, I was like, that's a scary kind of thought. Like the the idea that the the typical fear is, will I go to heaven, the good place, or hell, the bad place? Yeah, and it's like you could be so insignificant in yeah. your effect on the world that you just your soul is literally just thrown in the bin.
1: you your, your... Yeah, your net effect on the
0: world is zero, and that kind of spoke to like you could either be really good and go to a good place, or even better than still better than being chucked away. You could be really evil and at least go to hell, but you'd still exist. Like I thought that was such a a smart little plot point, and it just never gets picked up again.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And that's I think that's I think Bender's issue here is he's got the ideas and he's got the concepts, but the dialogue and execution just completely fell flat.
1: Do you know what it's made me want to do? Read something better. No, you know the Future Armor episode where he has the violin duel with the my favorite my favorite episode, yeah. Yeah, it's made me want to watch that again. Yeah. It's made me want to listen to The Devil Went Down to Scunthorpe, which is hmm. a punk a British punk cover of The Devil Went Down to Georgia and watched that um Jesus. And and watched that Future Armor episode. It's yeah. one it is, it, it's made me want to watch the jewel with the devil format in all of the
0: places I've seen it handled really well. Yeah, I the that Futurama episode I think is the best, one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen.
1: It's excellent. Yeah,
0: I love one of my favourite lines, and this is probably one of the lesser known lines, but or lesser actually, it's a, it's kind of a meme, so it's actually fun. It's Zoidberg when he's like. When Fry gets his normal hands yeah, back, yeah. he's like, I can't play now. And Soapok's like, the music was in your heart the whole time. <laughs> and then he starts playing with shit. He's like, your music's bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> that got memed and that's, that's a, yeah. one of the better ones. Uh, you did not read the end of this title. So I'm just going to give you two things that you... I think you missed that one. Okay. I think you didn't get to. One is they beat Satan because at one point they go... They beat him. So Satan makes... he one of them, he has to pick one of them to fight one of his champions. Yeah. And that will decide it. Does he pick the completely unextraordinary one? The black guy? Oh, he picks him. So he picks him because, so the unextraordinary one is the girl who doesn't know why she's there. Yeah, no yeah, one yeah. knows why she's there. It's never explained. Oh, so we don't get a payoff for that. No, but so what happens is he th- suspects picking her but then he goes this seems like a trick and i've done this number of times i feel like yeah, if yeah, i yeah. pick you you'll suddenly have powers or something so i'm gonna go with this guy who has who was a chosen one and apparently did save the world but we never find out how so he picks him and then for his champion there's like big demons in the background it's like which he's gonna pick and he goes i'll pick the girl so his champion is the girl uh... so he makes it that this guy has to kill this girl to win to, for oh, them to be right. satan okay. so it becomes like this like ah like i've got you in the corner what you're gonna does do? he does he kill her and the girl's like come on you should do it like i feel like this is actually my chosen moment yeah. i was chosen by the devil to be his champion but i need, i'm chosen to die to stop him and then they're they're consulting with wilson they're like what does the prophecy actually say we do it's like the prophecy just says you handle it like you come together and you handle the situation yeah. so the superior one flies through the oh so satan turns into a giant set stereotypical satan he's like this is my true form i'm i'm getting comfortable to watch this battle between these new friends or whatever and then the super one just flies through his head and kills him oh and that's that's how they end it oh it's extremely deflating oh and bad (laughs) and again so the only super was the deus ex machina the entire time the deus ex machina was the friends we made along the way (laughs) oh no (laughs) fuck you you use my own words against me (laughs) but it's so deflating it's just like oh i guess we've won now and the other point You might want to reangle the microphone. I know you've done it out of sadness, but oh. if we, want to hear your, your, oh. we want to hear your sadness.
1: But for reference, guys, I just headbutted my own microphone
0: out of the way. Out, I out can't. of pure depression. Yeah,
1: I'm just done. <laughs> well, th-
0: and the worst part.
1: Oh, no, that wasn't the worst part.
0: So after that, they reconvene. You, yeah. know, you know the epilogue, right?
1: <laughs> oh, there's an epilogue.
0: <laughs> so they're all together. Yeah. I feel like we might have to make a clip out of this, but I also don't want to spoil the ending of a new comic on like YouTube Shorts and TikTok. But, nah, uh, fuck it. So there is the epilogue. Yeah, and then another prophecy appears. Oh, and it says something along the lines of like, "We need you to stick together in case something else happens." Few, next, next prophecy will be incoming shortly. So, like, await like, oh next <laughs> like communic- mission control. Await yeah. oh next communication. <laughs> I've still so not. Bad. I'm still not at the worst part. Oh
1: no! go on.
0: So one of the characters. I think it's babs the friend of the demas yeah, who yeah. was the the most quippy like the highest quip to minute ratio quip, quip, to, to, second mi- quip ratio. to second ratio yeah. highest quip to second ratio the yeah. highest qts qts of the of the group yeah she goes i sure it's her it might be one well, might be one of the others but she gets one of them goes so we're a franchise now oh, oh, oh. And it made me think immediately of um your impression of will smith from suicide squad what are we some kind of suicide squad, are we some <laughs> kind of suicide squad? which is the, easily the worst depression i've ever heard in my life <laughs> but i immediately thought of that when i read that I was oh, like, oh mate, my god
1: because they'd done they'd done the meta self-referential thing he, he had said when the devil had met go with no powers he was like oh what are you like a author insert fourth wall break yeah like there's a whole text block of what he says. i actually
0: took a picture of that moment because mm. i didn't like it i hated it so much and what did he say can, you, he read, says,
1: can uh, you read it out in your best in your best movie voiceover guy
0: well it's kind of weird because it's 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 not quite that style of tone because it's so he's he's guessing what she is you get to you get to do it to me i get to do it to you i mean yeah we could try So this is him, he's trying to guess what's special about So he goes like, oh, um, reincarnated warrior or alien, vampire. He's going like that and they're kind of talking over his his guesses. And then he goes, he goes like, uh, you know, when the character hits their own head, like, oh, of course. He goes, oh, manifestation of a genre-fueled writer's self-consciousness brought to life through the seventh dimension of the creative hive mind. And I read that when you wanker.
1: Well, what does that mean?
0: It just means it's you're a, created by the writer. It's a bunch of words that means nothing. It's a really wanky way of saying created by the writer. You're a and, you're a writer insert character. And this is also the heaviest putting a lampshade on it moment in in that I've read in a thing. Yeah. So for anyone doesn't so know, putting a lampshade on it is if uh, any piece of fiction is doing something, and normally it's something negative or it's something negative from a previous bit or whatever. If the characters refer to it, it's called hanging a lampshade on yeah. it because it's it was a completely pointless self-identifying. By the way, these characters are fictional. Yeah, fucking what? Like we know. I'm. I, I, I'm trying not to get worked up about this because I don't want to hate read things to just complain about. There's yeah. enough of that on the internet in general. Yeah, yeah. There's so many creators who are literally just hate watching or hate reading stuff because hate is as it's an it's as a heightened emotion as loving something. So it attracts similar things. But also people like people shitting on things. So it gets even more traction online than just being, than loving things. And if it was like a movie or a video game or television show or music, I'll happily rip on that stuff because people, there's so many assholes in those industries who are just making shit for the sake of making shit. I feel like comics still feels like this sacred kind of like, come on, no one's like most people aren't reading comics it's just us like let's all be just us let's all appreciate each other's work and and the people
1: who are making them aren't doing it to get rich to get rich they're doing it because because the
0: there's money in it but
1: for the writers and the artists there's not like music publishing money in it. successful
0: is making a living off yeah yeah
1: and so yeah no i i agree with you i'm i don't want this to be a negative podcast i don't want this to be a place where we go to say the reasons we think something's shit The problem that happened here is that this is the only thing
0: we'd read. Well, that, but, and also I feel like if something comes out and we read it, I still want to be honest about my opinion. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping this comes across as a reluctantly honest review, for lack of a better word, than a, God, this was shit. I can't wait to, to, I can't wait to talk shit about this comic.
1: Yeah, no, we, yeah, we're not here to talk shit about stuff. As
0: evidenced by the fact that we, Talked about the things we liked about it i mean the, the very few things you could we probably should have done a section i was like just fast forward here if you want the good stuff yeah but it is just peppered through so we just weren't overly negative all the time which we have been i would describe <laughs> i would i want to my final verdict i want to describe this as a big swing and a miss on yeah. writing cool likable characters yeah i agree i totally agree so, I mean that's all we can that's all we can sum up as, really. But it's
1: this thing where actually what's his face when he did Public Domain?
0: Oh Kip pres- Kipsidarski presented us with quite unlikable characters that we really liked. And to be honest, I like not liking characters if I'm meant to. Like that's yeah. the worst well, thing is when you're trying to make me like a character and I don't. Th- no, this is the thing, right? We were looking at kind of
1: deadbeat tattoo artist and a gambling addict people with really unlikable traits, but because they were three-dimensional, well-presented characters, we saw bits of ourselves and bits of people that we've loved in them. And we, mm. saw, we saw something in them and we liked the characters for that reason, but I just didn't see anything in any of these characters. There was nothing there
0: to get excited about. And I'll tell you what as well. What? I'll tell you what. because What? I'll <laughs> tell you what as well. The brother, the tattoo mm. artist brother in public domain, Yeah. Barry Quippy, very yeah. nonchalant, but that was his character. He that was him in a nutshell. He was the character who didn't take anything seriously, yeah. and that was his negative trait. So when he made the quips, they were still sometimes funny. In fact, he was funny quite a lot of the time, and it was always contextual. It was always related to what was happening, not the characters or backstory. Like in this demon slayer who doesn't believe in demons was like, "Were you dense? Like yeah. I see you fighting demons." Like you're not you're you're not too cool to believe in demons if you are a demon slayer character. There's no point did Blade <laughs> or Wesley Snipe say, I don't even believe in vampires. That's for nerds. Like I mean, do you know what she reminded me of? Who she reminded of?
1: Well, no, no, no. What my first thought was. What was what was that? It's if someone put Buffy the Vampire Slayer through the wash on
0: the wrong setting.
1: Yeah. And just washed everything interesting out of her character.
0: Well, she was that's I said earlier about being Ween esque. Buffy mm. was we big yeah. first one after Firefly, big first main um, show. Buffy was good though, and she was also a chosen one. Yeah, so that's why she obviously made the character. So I don't mind them using making a parody Buffy character. Yeah, could have made them in, could have made them individuals. Yeah. That's all. I think. I think. I feel like I'm wallowing in... in yeah,
1: <laughs> let's let let mate, let's end it. Let's yeah. just...
0: On a positive note, where we just thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah. As positive so as we can get. Thank you so much for listening. If you've read the book and
1: you disagree with our interpretation, please send us an email at comicliterate at
0: gmail.com. I would legitimately love to hear from people who enjoyed it. And yeah, no, not, I'd like to know. Not because I want to change my mind, but I just... I like the idea that even if I didn't like something, that someone else got something from it. Yeah, I would absolutely. genuinely like that. So if you, if you enjoyed the ones, if you want to fight us or argue us about it, I also hugely welcome that as well. Love the discourse.
1: So let me, let me take us out. Let me fucking pull this car back into reverse of the ditch of depression that we've <laughs> yeah. driven into. Um, if you like the Comic Literate podcast, we take the best bits and turn them into YouTube shorts. And that's on the YouTube channel, which is Comic Literate. Yep, and uh, TikTok. And TikTok. So Comic Literate on YouTube and TikTok. You can find highly edited versions of the very best bits of the Comic Literate podcast. And we really, really appreciate it if you support us there. And if you really want to help us out, you can leave us a review. Best places to do that are on Spotify, Yep, Amazon yep. and Google Podcasts. Uh, is it apple Podcasts? apple Podcasts? yeah i forget that you apple people exist yeah they they're the other side so um and
0: yeah thanks so much for listening and good night thank god's been good night e.